All right. Okay, okay. So, good morning again. So, we had a meeting, um, as I said, on Tuesdays with our young people. And you know how sometimes you make a comment and it's just a comment you make in the moment. And most of those times, those comments are just, yeah, it makes sense, but it's, it's just a throwaway comment almost. But then every now and again, a comment comes that you make and you don't quite realize what you've said. But then it comes back to you. And the more you think about it, the more you kind of realize what I said. There was something. And God sparked something in me when I made a comment to the youth on, on Tuesday. And what we were doing was we were talking to our youth, because um, what if, if for, uh, well, I mean, I'll, for those of you who don't know, for the last month we've been meeting with our young people because we believe that if they don't understand how to connect with the Holy Spirit, then there's no chance they're going to stay in church. They don't, we, don't, we don't get our young people to engage with God, then, then, then all they've got is a building and a religion. Yeah? So we've been trying to encourage them. And as you all know, you'd, you'd have to be either not here or just very forgetful to think that we have, we've been talking about the family. We've been talking about coming to the exposed part of the wall and building the family. Have we not? For, for months. And so one of my major passions is that it's not just mum and dad praying for the family, but it's the family praying for the family. So that each generation takes its responsibility to come together. Because if we're going to build the family, then the family has to be involved. Okay? So, we've been, we, were, we, had, we, had a night, we had we had a, we had a prayer, a night of prayer. And we were trying to talk to them about the family. Because we started asking about the family, and we started asking about the traditions. And then they had to pray about that. And then there the came this analogy that God gave to me. Do you remember? It's, well, I do anyway, but I don't know if you, have you ever been to a bar and you've asked for a, a Coke? You've asked for a Coca-Cola? When I, or when I grew up anyway, and I, and I used to ask for that, they'd always say to me, bottle or draft? Because Coke can either come in the draft, you know, and they just, it's the, they press the button and it all comes out, or you get the bottle. The bottle has a specific measurement. Now, I used to like getting the bottle because the bottle was one of them glass bottles, like, you know, the really retro 1950s ones. And they're really cool and they look dead cool. So I used to think, you know, I can't have a beer, but I'll have a cool bottle of Coke, you know. But So I'd go for the bottle. But the one thing I realized was the bottle has a limit. It has a maximum capacity. Would we agree with that? And it will say it on the bottle, 330 mils or whatever. But with the draft, when you have it on draft, you just keep pressing that button, and it just keeps coming out, and it keeps coming out, and it keeps coming out. So yeah, you can say, I want a pint of Coke, and it'll, it'll pour you a pint. But then you can say, I want four pints of Coke, and it'll just keep pouring it. Where with the bottle, you're limited, aren't you? And God was saying that when, we, when we're looking to pray, and when we're in a season where we're, when we examine our own heart, when we look at our heart, you imagine, you, you, you take your heart, your heart has a limited capacity. Your heart in its own self, take God out the picture, just you and your heart, you have a limited capacity. And if we look, we don't have to look, but Proverbs 27, 19 says this. 
As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. And that struck me. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. I'll come back to the analogy of Coke in a minute. And then it says in Psalm 73 to verse 26, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But the first bit is, my flesh and my heart may fail. If our heart had an unlimited capacity to care, to love, to forgive, to put the past behind, then, you see, unforgiveness comes because your heart can't come to a place where you can forgive. There isn't enough love in your heart at that moment. On your own strength, you can't forgive that person because you don't have enough love for that person or for what they've or, or you can't see beyond it. That's because your heart has a capacity. It has a limit. That's not your fault. We all have it. And our hearts are like the bottle of Coke. It has a shape, but it has a limitation. But God's heart doesn't. God's heart is on, is on draft. Because God's heart has no limit, has no, has no end. There is no end. We've just heard this morning. There is nothing that can separate me from the love of God. Because God's capacity to love me goes beyond anything you can measure or compare. Which is great to know. But what we have to do is we have to learn how to live out of God's heart and not our own. Because when you live out of your heart, you have a limitation and a capacity that you can't go beyond on your own. But when you have God's heart, that's when you can go beyond where you feel you're capable of going beyond. Amen? And this morning I want to talk to us about this, this whole issue of the heart this morning. Because I'm going to be dead honest with you, and I'm going to be dead frank with you. About five or six weeks ago, well, about five or six weeks ago, God gave me a word, which I'm, once he changes it, I'll bring next week. And here's the thing. If something's not broken, what did he say? Don't fix it. So when God brings a word, does he bring a word to someone to speak if there's no need to speak into that area because it's, because it's fixed? Would God speak into an already fixed environment? Or God does speak into the areas that need pruning, changing, and enlightening. Right. So I have to take that this is not just what I'm about to say is not just my opinion, but the fact that God has spoken to me about what I'm speaking this morning and next week and other things, that there is something here that still needs to be fixed. Is that okay? So I'm not having a go at you. I'm just trying to be honest. Since the last, since the last Building the Spirit, where we officially kind of launched this, we as a church are now going to stand and go to the exposed parts of the wall and we are going to stand for our families. Yeah? So we're going to, that means we're going to spend specific time every week in our homes and we are going to start to pray passionately about our family, even the ones we don't like. 
and what was the other thing? That we will also stand with other families. So you were to find another, other families to stand with and pray as passionately for them as you do for yourself. And I believe as a house, it's not happening. If I were to, um, now I'm going to say a few things, rhetorical questions, I don't need you to answer, I don't need hands up in the air, I don't need anything. How many people can say that they have set time aside every week consistently to pray for their own family? How many people have gone before God and said, who can I stand with? How many people have picked someone, because remember, Pastor, he didn't just say, pick a family, because you know what, in this church, we all have favourites. That's called relationship. You have, you have more relationship with some than you do with others, don't you? That's all right. We're not, not, that's, that's normal. That's called relationship. That's, that's fine. You can't be best friends with everyone. But the idea was, was not just to go and pick your favorites and say, I'll stand with you, but to go and pick someone that you didn't normally, you weren't normally as close to. Because we have to learn to pray out of God's heart, not our own heart. If I already love someone to pick, if, it's, if you say, pray for my wife, well, that's easy. I can pray for my wife all day long because I love my wife passionately. But it's very different when you're being asked to have a heart for someone outside of your inimical circle. And God, I want, I, want, I want to show us this morning how before Nehemiah put a stone in the ground and started rebuilding the wall, something else had to be built first. And we're going to look in the book of Ezra for that. You see, in Proverbs 21, 1 and 2, just as another, another one to jot down, Solomon says this, In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels towards all who please him. And a person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. You think, why? Why haven't we been doing it? Why have we not gone? Why have we not sought for someone else? Why have we not, why can we not say that we haven't done those things? Because there is something missing in your heart. Because your heart has a limitation. So and I think we can probably say, corporately, this is what's going on. But I want to show, so I want to show us this morning, in part, if we go to the book of Ezra, which, which, which is, I'm sure many of you have read Ezra, because Ezra directly precedes the book of Nehemiah. And Ezra, the priest, worked alongside and with Nehemiah while he was building the wall. So these two men... And these two, these two things, although they were around about 80 years apart from, from where we begin and where we finish, they are linked intrinsically. Is that okay? So, I want us to look how God works so we can begin to see how we must respond in this season. If we really believe and we really want to see the changes in our families that we that we really want to see, we have to look at how God does things. So it says in here, 
um, in uh, chapter 1, verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, the king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. So what do we see first of all? God moved the heart of a king. Before he did anything, God moved the heart. If your heart is not moved towards something, you will not go towards it. Simple logic, but it's incredibly powerful. If your not heart is not moved towards something, you won't do anything about it. You know why? Because that's why we all walk past homeless people every day and none of us stop to do anything about it. None of us always stop to talk to them. Now, I'm not trying to convict anyone from that. I'm just saying it's a fact of life that there are lots of things that we see and our heart is not stirred by it all. And we all have different things, God-given things that God stirs us about. So we're not all meant to go and have to, you know, I'm, so I'm not trying to, Chris, I'm just trying to show you that there's things that you're not stirred towards. And so you do nothing about them because you're not stirred about them. So the king was stirred. See, the Lord never does anything without purpose and reason. Why did he stir him? He stirred him to fulfill his own word. It was 70 years after Jeremiah prophesied with the exiles, and then all of a sudden this king decides to change his policy, his tactic. And all of a sudden, his heart was stirred. Now the king was not a God-fearing man. There's no, there, is no, there is nothing to suggest that this guy was a Christian, as it were, was a Jew. He was just a king that acknowledged that something had God, the God of Israel, had stirred him. And he recognized it. You see, God, when God stirs any of our hearts towards anything, there is always a greater purpose than you or me. God doesn't just stir your heart because he wants you to be stirred about something. He stirs about your heart because God works all things for the good of those who love him. So there is, a, there is a kingdom here. There are billions of lives being intertwined all in the will of God. So when God stirs your heart, no matter how, no matter how small or large, there is a reason for him doing so. Because God doesn't do anything by accident. Okay? So, in verse 2 and 3. It says, this is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. And any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord. The God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. So the king, what is, he, what is God commanding him to do? He's commanding him to authorize the building of what? The temple of the Lord. Not the walls. Not the city. Not the buildings. Per se. Not the houses. The first thing was the temple of the Lord. See, God wants a home. Before we, when God ever wants to work from a place, he finds a man or he finds a people. Because God wants, has, always gives himself a base to work from. 
So God wants it before Nehemiah can get to the point of being, this is 80 years, 80 to 100 years before Nehemiah was stirred in his spirit to go and, to go, to go and see the walls for Jerusalem. God had to stir a people for himself so there was a place for him to be worshipped. And it says this, those in exile were offered the chance to return home. Now this is what you have to understand about this. When this was made, the Israelites had already been exiled for decades. Decades had gone when the Israelites were, when Jerusalem was, was, was taken over and, and they were all took into exile. So they weren't sat in a cave for 70 years. They were in Babylon and they built homes, they built businesses, they built communities because you've got to live somewhere. So they made a foundation for themselves within the situation they were in. But now they were being offered the opportunity to go and be and do something for the Lord. And in the next scripture, verse 5 and 6, it says this. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests of the Levites, everyone, what's this, whose heart God had moved. Not all of the exiles came. Only the ones whose God, whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors assisted with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts. In addition, in addition to all of the free will offerings. You see, a free will offering is what? It's done out of a free will. It's not something you're forced to do. It's something you are offered to do. Something you choose to do. These people were chosen. You are not being made to come to the wall. No one's asking you, telling you, should I say, to come to the wall. But God is looking to move your heart to come to the wall. No one's forcing you. You can stay in this church, no problem, no condemnation, absolutely nothing. We don't believe in doing that. Because if we don't give you free will, then guess what? We're going against God's own law. Yeah? So God gives you free will. You don't have to do this. But God is looking for those whose heart he can move. He's looking for those people who are willing to make a journey from where they are to go and do something for the purposes of God. See, your family coming back and becoming strong is not just about you. It's about them and about God's purpose. Because God has a purpose for every individual in your family. Everyone in your home has an individual purpose relating to the kingdom of God. It's not just about you. So you... Coming to the wall is not all I need to. If there's no, if there's a need to, in terms of, well, I suppose I need to, I suppose I have to, then immediately we're on the wrong footing. God is asking for those whose hearts are being moved. Okay. Now it says this in verse 7. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. So, there were treasures that were stolen 
from the temple of God and from the people when they were captured. When you go back and rebuild the temple, the treasures can return. There are missing treasures in your life that have been stolen. There are treasures in your family, which is your family, that are currently in another person's temple, in another person's treasury. They are not where they belong in the house of God. And God is saying that if I, when I move, I am moving the people to come to where I am setting my name. God set his name in Jerusalem. God set his temple in a specific place. And there, the treasure is able to be returned to that place. Because when God moved the heart, he moved all the treasure back in as well. God doesn't leave us with an empty temple. God's temple is never empty. God's house is never empty. What have we been, what has Pastor Tony speak about? He is our source and our supply. God's temple is always full of the resources we need. It's always able to supply us. But there are treasures that have been stolen from your life and from your family. And he's looking for a, move, for a heart that can be moved to go and fight to get them back. And not only, not only the things that have been stolen, but there are new treasures that God wants to bring to every house and every family. There are new things. Why? Because God is always bringing something new into our lives. Because God is always moving forward. So we need to understand that, that out, of, out of a heart of people that come together, see, I'm not just, I'm not just praying I can pray for myself, but I've got to be honest with you, some of us are struggling to pray for our own families. Some of us are struggling to pray for our own families. Why? Because we're trying to pray out of our own heart's desires. Everything that is happening here is that God moved the heart. So here's the thing. Asking God for his heart has nothing to do with you. However, it's amazing that when you ask God for his heart, how much of his heart is about you. When you ask God's heart, and you ask for his heart for your family, his heart for your friends, his heart for whatever it is, that's when the supply from heaven comes down. That's when you're able to, your heart is able to be moved to pray for someone that you can't stand. To pray for people who cause you conflict. To pray for people who've made different life choices for you. This is why we've been talking about our young people. Because parents, they might love you, but they don't like you all the time. Because you're in that phase. It's called growing up. And parents, you'd be lying if you said you, loved, you, you like your kids all the time. You might love them, but you don't always like the person and the choices that they're making. So you pray in your heart, you pray out of frustration, you pray out of disappointment, you pray out of, of hurt, you pray out of all, why? Because that's all in your heart. But God is asking, can he move your heart with his heart? If we can't learn to pray and live and act out of his heart, we are always going to be limited and we're always going to stay where we are. We will always be the exiles in our own homes. The Israels had a home, but nothing was established there. What wasn't established? The presence of God was not established in their home. In the home of the Israelites. So they were exiled in their own home. 
because they couldn't live there. They couldn't be there. That's the difference between trying to live out of your heart and live out of his heart. Let's look for the next bit. Okay. Ezra 2. Ezra chapter 2 now. Verse 68 and 69, it says. Just copy and paste in this little bit. So, uh, yeah, I'll just stick to this. I'll do this. Right. So, Ezra 2, verse 68 69. When they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the heads of the families were given, gave free will offerings towards the rebuilding of the house of God on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for this work. You see, when we are starting from this position, God already knows your limitations. He knows where you're hurting. He knows where you're struggling. He knows where you're lethargic. He knows where you've got no motivation. He knows everything. He knows your physical limitations. He knows your financial situation. He knows all of these things. And God is asking for you to only give freely what you are able to give. God is not asking for you to go and do some miraculous, amazing things. He is asking you to let him move your heart and to work with the ability that he already knows you have. Some of us think that we, are, we take the responsibility of the whole world on your shoulders and think it's your responsibility to move it. And you can't do that because you're just going to get yourself defeated. You're gonna, you're gonna feel, it's, gonna, it's like looking up at a dam thinking, I'm going to climb that. Well, you're not on your own. But God isn't asking for that. He's asking for a sacrifice. He's asking for a sacrifice. He's asking for your free will sacrifice. But that sacrifice... He knows what you can give, and he knows what you can't give. The question is, is you have to know what you can give, and then you have to make a choice to give what you can. In this season, if you can't, it's like saying, oh, I haven't got time to pray. In a week, are we able to find one hour in a week to pray for our family? If we say we can't, I'll leave that with you. But you see what I mean? It's we gotta we gotta see that. But but you can't pray for your family unless your heart's been moved. But what God's really asking for is will you ask him for his heart on every issue that's in your life? And live from that place. Let that come through. And in the in Ezra three, verse one to three. Says this. When the seventh month came, so it's Ezra 3, 1 to 3. When the seventh month came and the Israelites were settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priest Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, and his associates began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law. Despite their fear of the people around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both morning and evening. What was the first part of the temple that was built? Was it the walls? No. 
Moses the elder. Why did God build the altar? Because that's the place where you'll have to be built. Before we can talk about building our families and saving our families and rebuilding this and rebuilding that, first the altar has to be built in your own heart. The altar has to be established in your own heart. You have to be willing to bring your sacrifice to the altar. This is, this is the first thing out of everything, out of all of the rubble, out of everything that was destroyed, the very first thing that they built was the altar. And what did it say? Despite fear. It's quite scary if you've been living in exile and you're having to shift from where your current foundation is and God is asking you to move your foundation to where his foundation is. Because some of us have to realize our foundations are not based on his heart. They're based on our own. And to move from one to the other means you haven't got the same control as you had before. It means you have to let go of certain fears. But that scares you in itself for what will happen. Here's the thing. When, you're trying, when, we, when we are trying to, some of you like the idea of praying with someone else, but some of you, it scares you to death. You know why? Because then you have to tell them what's wrong in your life. You have to tell them what you're not, what's going badly in your family. You have to, you know, I, I remember, um, this is going way back there. When I, when I went off the wall and I betrayed Em and, and all our marriage fell to pieces, I had to have a chat with Em's mum and dad. Oh, that was a mistake. Because I had to, I had to apologize. I had to talk about what I'd done. And I had to ask forgiveness. But the one thing I'll always remember about Em's mum was it wasn't just the fact that it was a daughter that was hurting, but it was what it made the family look like. They've been through six generations of Christians. It was Christians, 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 pastors, leaders. It was, and she was, it was, I was staining the integrity of the family if people find out of what's gone on. That's not, she wasn't, she's not wrong for that. But at the same time is this, is sometimes there are things that you that maybe members of your family have done or there's things that have gone in your household and you don't want other people knowing. But the situation can't change unless some prayer goes into it. But you don't want people knowing. Because then it makes your family look a certain way. I should know I'm a leader. For me to, I'm supposed to be strong and and good and spiritual and everything's supposed to be good. Because I'm a leader so everything must be going right in my life. Well that's a lie. So I've got to make a choice to allow someone else in. And that is why, and that is why. That is why it can't just be anyone that you pray with. And I'll talk about this more next week. But God has to bring someone into your heart. If you just pick someone because that's who you know, and they know a bit of stuff, that's not what God's asking of us. God's asking us to say, can I move your heart? For another family in this house. Can I move your heart for someone else? Let me choose who I'm going to put on your heart. 
You see, this happened to me. This happened to me. I was, um, I won't say the, the family now, I'll just, I just, I'll, I'll just not. But I was, they, were, they put a, a thing on Facebook, and I've known this, we've not known this family, and they're in the church, and I've got, always got on with them, but I'm not going to, we're not like best mates. Does that make sense? There's people you know in this church, don't you? And you might have been in the church for 10 years with them, and you've had conversations, and you know a bit about their life, but you don't know them at that level. Yeah? I think that's, that's normal, right? So they just put a, a comment on Facebook, and I replied, personal message that you've got this, this thought for me and I wanted to know this and I wanted to know that and I wanted to find out about this and I had this urge, this sense in my spirit that's like I want to help this person, I want to help this family and as it came on and on and on I began to realize that God was burdening my heart with this family and that's when I knew and so I spoke to that family and I let them know and they received it well. Now, when, 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 just because I've got a burden to pray for them, that's not their responsibility now to only pray with us. If they've got a burden for someone else, it's all right. If I'm, if I'm building on a wall, imagine this is the wall, and I've got, I can have someone on that side, and I can have someone on that side, and we're all building together. So um, we're, not, we're not saying you can only pick one family and that's it. It's not about that. But there has to be someone that God has stirred your heart for. Because I tell you, if I've got someone that doesn't really care about praying for me, and I'm in a battle, they're useless to me. They're useless because they don't. Their heart's not stirred for me and my and, and my family. So if I ring them and say, "We are pray, we are pray, we are pray," yeah, forget time. Yeah, yeah, I, I will. But I, actually, I've got no. I've got absolutely. I mean, look. Let's all be honest with you. Who's ever said you'll pray for someone and you forgot? Is it just me? I have. I've prayed, and, or I, if I've prayed, I've gone, well, just to appeal my, appease my conscience, please, Lord, let them get better. Amen. As I was running out the door going somewhere. That's not what God, that's not going to change anything. That's just going to be nice little prayers. It's like I was, I was listening when I was at the, in Chester, I was listening to this meeting, and uh, the, it, was, it was an even song it was called. It was like one of those ones where they have all, you know, they're all in the robes and stuff, and they have the choirs and it was like that. And it was like it was. It was quite nice. I, I half fell asleep because it was very peaceful. But it was. It was very nice. But then, you know, when they when they do a scripture reading, they read like an entire chapter. It's like it's amazing. And then they start praying this prayer. But he's not praying this prayer. He's reading off a card. I'm like, I said, I said to him, I said, I'd, I'd get really excited about that prayer if he wasn't actually reading it. If it was actually something that was coming out of his spirit. But it wasn't coming out of his spirit. It was coming on a piece of paper that was laminated in black. This is your bit to speak. Because you're praying religiously, not out of your heart. You're not living out of God's heart for that person. You're living out of whether you can be bothered. Or whether you have a stirring. And if you haven't got a stirring, you are useless to that person. And that's not meant to sound awful. But if we're going to go into the heavenlies and fight, we have to go in and fight. We have to, if we're going to stand with someone, we've got to stand with someone. If, someone's, if I expect someone to reveal their private secrets to me so I can pray into it, I've got to take responsibility for, what, for that trust. And this is why God has to stir each heart. So if you haven't found a family, that if you haven't picked a family, in one sense, good. 
because now you can go and do it. You can now you can go and make sure that before you just say, I'll pick you. You know, I remember being at a barn dance at primary school. It was like, boys on that side, girls on this side. And you all had to go find a partner. And the one who didn't find a partner, which was me, had to dance with the head teacher. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Seriously. Mrs. Davenport, I had to. And it was just like, oh, God, I had to hold her hand and everything. It was awful. You know, this isn't like that. We're not all going to stand you in Sam's and then go find someone. Whoever's left after like, I don't know, either have to, have to pray for some salvation to walk through the door, or you get stuck with Pastor Tony. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not like that. But the, the point is, is our heart has got to be moved. But the thing is, is this, as I started to pray for this family out of my heart, out of God's heart, my, God's heart then becomes my heart. So it starts off being God's heart, and I'm aware it's God's heart. But then as I embrace that, I start to move towards it. And already, I've even got it here. I started praying, and God gave me a vision for them. And as I started to pray for them, and I, and I, and I, started to, and I wrote it all down, and I gave it to them, there were things that were there that I had no idea about what they said. That's exactly what came out of my mouth. Why? Because it's God in my heart. And when God sets the altar in your house, when the altar of God is established in your house, as scary as it might be, it might mean you've got to make a sacrifice. It might mean you've got to let someone in. It might mean you've got to start going beyond where you are feeling comfortable doing that. Some of you don't like praying out loud. Some of you don't like praying passionately. You don't, it's, undig it's undignified. But we've got to find a way. Otherwise, this house can never be truly built in the way God has intended it to be. Okay, and this is what God said in um, chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. Okay, thought I got it written down there. <laughs> It says this in chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. We praise, with, with praise and thanksgiving, they, they, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Once that foundation is laid, then we can start to live from that place. But before that foundation is laid, your heart will never be moved. Because you are not giving God the opportunity to come and give his heart into your life. To speak his heart, not just for your family, but for whoever it is that God has laid on your heart. Because we've got to remember, building this house and building these walls together is only, is as much as anything else, it's training so we know how to build other things. If you can't have a heart for people that, that, you're supposed, that we're supposed to be partners in destiny with, then how on earth are we expected to have a heart for our teenagers? How are we going to have a heart for them? If you struggle to have a heart for members of your own family, how are you ever going to have a heart for someone else who's not in your family? Now, I know for some people, it's easier to love people outside your family than inside your family. I get that. But God gives us family, and I'm going I'm to finish on that in a second. 
But it says the foundation was laid. But many, and here's this, many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid, whereof they shouted. Now, there are different interpretations for this. I am not, not, this is not my biblical doctrine. This is me giving you the, the revelation God gave me from that particular passage, okay? So if you've heard a different meaning for that scripture, it's okay. That's not wrong either. This is just what God used that scripture to show me. When you've laid, when you've been living under a different foundation, it hurts to move to a different place. If, if you've, you've lived in your heart and not out of God's heart, and you've closed yourself off, and you've got yourself in, that, in, in a place where you're comfortable in your Christianity, you're comfortable in everything you do, and everything that we're talking about and God's doing is making you feel uncomfortable. See, these people who moved to build God's presence, they left their businesses, they left their friends, they left everything they built for 20, 30, 40 years in their old time. Why? Because God moved their heart. They paid a sacrifice. But it doesn't mean it ain't painful. It's painful to move from an old nature to a new nature. The old nature is to do, just live out of your own heart, live out of your own thoughts, and live out your own ways. But God is saying that's got to change. You've got to live from my heart. You've got to live the way I inspire you. You've got to live the way I speak to you. In every part of your life, it's God's heart that must speak the loudest. Otherwise, we will always be in conflict. And that's why some of these, they remember the old, the good old days. They remember how it used to be with David and they remember all the old way. And they want to go back to the old because it's, it's what they remember. But God's doing a new thing. God is doing a new thing in this. And if God wants to do a new thing, if you want God to do a new thing in your family, then you've got to be, you've got to be the first one willing to do a new thing. Amen? Okay. Now, this is what I showed to the young people, and I wasn't expecting to do this, but this is what I felt. I love it when God says, do that at like half ten. Turn to John 17, if you would. I want to give you an example of when Jesus was praying. Jesus is always the best example for everything. But this is what I showed, this is what I saw. This is the way, this is, this is, when you look at, John 17 is incredible. John 16, John 17 is absolutely incredible. It's just one of those scriptures that every time, every, them passages, every time you read it, it's more and more. Even now, there's scriptures I want to bring, but I, I can't because it gets off topic. But this is Jesus saying this, in John 17 verse 9, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world but for those that you have given me, for they are yours. We have got to pray. We can pray. There's a thousand things to pray for. There's a thousand people to pray for. There's millions of things to pray for and people to pray for. But we have to know what is on God's heart to pray for. And we have to move towards those. 
See, Jesus never said anything or did anything unless his father told him to do it or say it. So when Jesus, even though in the, it, it, you see in the previous Gospels, Jesus picked out the fishermen, he picked the disciples, he didn't pick them. He just, he just picked who God told him to pick. Jesus didn't choose his own disciples. Jesus was given the disciples that God gave him, including the ones that frustrated him, including the ones that hurt him, including the ones that betrayed him. But God says, but he says, but I pray, I'm not praying for the world, but I'm praying for you. My investment, my heart is in them because that's who he's given me to pray for. We have, in this season, as we are rebuilding the walls, we have got to be a people who know who God is asking us to stand with and pray with and move towards. And, it, and that includes your own family. If God does not move, see, I told, I told our young people this. You didn't choose your family. You were given them. You didn't choose them. So, the, so if you're a person who absolutely adores every single person in your family and they never do anything wrong and they never frustrate you and you never have a disagreement and they've never done anything wrong, then, well, I hate you. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't. Because <laughs> I haven't got that. But you know what? My family, I don't resent my family because it's who God gave me. I thank God for my family because in my family, they've, God has taught me many lessons. Patience, forgiveness, tolerance, love, compassion. How I can't just pray for him, but I've got to do something about what I'm praying about. It's okay praying. If you've got, if you've got, if you've got lost, you know, we've, we've said this before, if you've got lost um, or backslidden family members, it's all right praying for him, but at some point, then that stirring in your heart has got to lead to action. What are you doing about what is stirring your heart? And that's why the challenge is, is you've got to be stirred first and foremost. If your heart is never stirred, you will not do anything. You will not do anything. Um, but it says in verse chapter John 17, 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be as one as we are as one. Jesus wanted everyone that he prayed for to have that same revelation and that same unity and that same intimacy as he had with his father. We have got to want that for not only our family members, for those people that God stirs our heart for, that we fight till we see that. That's what we're looking for. We're not just looking for their situation to look nicer. We're looking for them to have intimacy with the living God. Where every member of our household knows what it's like to be as one with God as we are with him. That's the heart. So it's not just, okay, we'll do a real and now they're better. So that's brilliant, mission accomplished. No. We want every life, we want every family to be united in their faith in Jesus Christ. And not just have a faith in Jesus Christ, but have a life with Jesus Christ. And have a, have a, have a destiny and a living, purpose-driven life in Christ. Are we, are we okay with this so far? Okay. John, 4, John 17, 14. No, John 17, 13. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have 
the full measure of my joy within them. You see, when your heart is full to the measure of joy given by God, then out of you come streams of living water. The streams flow out of you when you receive God's heart. Your heart is able, even in the midst of a crisis, to be able to be filled with joy. And that measure that is given to you is so that it overflows in you and pours out into everyone else that you're praying with, you're standing with, you're connected with. It's a simple, it's a simple thing, but it's incredibly difficult to do. And so I'm going to finish in a moment. Let's go back to a different question. See you in a sec. In 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, there's two things I want to say. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 8, it says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give that which you have decided in your heart to give. Each one of us this morning has to make a decision. What are you going to give out of your heart? Your heart must make a choice. What am I willing to give to someone else? What am I willing to give to my family and my people? Am I willing to stand? Am I willing to fight? Am I willing to do something about what I say I'm fighting for? Am I willing to use, in the early morning prayer meeting, we were praying about the release of the of spiritual gifts. God gives us these gifts for a reason. Prophecy. Are you willing to prophesy over someone? Are you willing to bring a word of wisdom? A word of knowledge. Are you willing to? Are you willing to use what God has given you freely to now freely sow into someone else's life? Not so that you can be good, and not because you're you're sowing into someone else so that your family automatically benefits. Because it's a it's like a it's a bit of a, a clause in there. Well, if I help them, then you have to help me. But we do it because God told. Because God's heart is to give. If you get nothing back in return, you're doing it because God said so. And what is in God's heart are spiritual gifts. And then in 2 Corinthians 8, 13 to 15, it says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. And at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need. So that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. We want equality within this house. Every family to be blessed. Every family to see prosperity, progress, protection. That's what everything is. So your plenty will provide for someone else's life. And if you, in turn, let your heart remain on the altar and open your heart to these relationships, then their plenty will bring to you. Because if you don't open your heart to someone else, you'll never know what their supply is in your life. 
you'll never know what God has already given them to you. And if you don't ever give your heart to another, God's heart for another family, you'll never know what supplies already inside of you. Because God has given treasures in your life. The treasure is not just full for you. It's full of treasure that you can give out to others. And I believe that, you know, Em and I, when we were in Chester, now I'm telling you right now, shopping-wise, it's just like forever. It's like there's just shops everywhere, double-decker buildings with just shops everywhere. And it's amazing. It's cool. If you like shopping, I, I have a limit. But yeah. But we didn't even get to see half the shopping. Now, we could have spent three days in, in Chester and seen nothing but shops. But we didn't. We went to see the cathedral. We went to see the amphitheater. And we went around the walls of the building. And it's incredible when you see Elizabethan buildings next to Tudor buildings, next to Georgian buildings, next to 1970 concrete. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's this... this um, but, but you see the beauty of the city. You see the fullness of what the city is. You don't just see the shops. This house will never see, we will not know the full beauty that's in this house unless we start widening where we are. And we look around and we go to those, not just your favourites, not just the ones that you're best friends with, not just the ones you know, but that we actually allow God to connect this house so that we become one people. That's why he wants us to be, be led by his heart. So that everything we do is not in our own understanding, but in his heart. Let's thank you this morning. Hey. All right.